This is Coda Radio, episode 482 for September 5th, 2022. good buddy welcome back to jupiter broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology my name is chris over here on the west coast and our hostess with the mostest over on the east coast it's mr dominic hello mike happy labor day greetings for florida where we don't believe in pay time off unless you're retired or, or in podcasting either have you noticed i don't yes. I think the only holiday we take is christmas chris we take christmas <laughs> yes yeah yeah i don't think we do a show on thanksgiving but that's just because we both like to eat yeah i've got to make room for the food how are you feeling you sound a little stuffed up a little stuffed up you know i went to T- uh tcg con last week and uh one thing that comes with those great in-person events is the conference flu. Yeah, you always got to get... Remember, we used to call that the con crud. Now we just call it COVID. Oh, oh. <laughs> How did it go, though? Would you do it again, knowing you're so, going to get sick? Last week was TCG con. It went great. We talked about it. This weekend was the uh, Dominaria United MTG pre-release. So oh, now, whoa, whoa. I'm, I did two okay. weeks in a row. I'm starting to get, this is a, but this is another magic event. Another magic event. A two days of planes walking and tapping that mana. I tapped that mana so hard. It was amazing. So, Squirrely Dave was asking for stats. Here we go. 5-0. and o, Standard. Boom. Won that one. Ha! Did a, did a sealed. Uh, arena sealed, which is the digital version. 5-3. and three. That's not a win. Alright. Uh, did a in-person sealed. Uh, 5-2. and two. For some reason, the the arena always has until you lose to three. Uh, the in-person one's based on who shows up. So that was okay. I will say that five is my lucky number. I think what happens is as I progress through the day into the evening, I get more tired. Sure. And just a little more lazy. So yeah, also played some commander. It was a long weekend. If you stay at it, you can probably overcome some of that sleepiness. You know, you can probably train that out a little bit. But also, you just kind of started this, and this you're doing pretty good, right? This is the second event. You're doing pretty good. Pretty excited. I'm going to, uh, you know, the COVID gods permitting, I'm going to go to Tampa NerdCon in November. I'm playing in two events there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's great. Well, well, I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. Yeah. Well, you know, come on, folks. Hit me up on Arena. Let's do this. Yeah. There you go. Gosh. Oh, no. This is going to become a whole thing. All right. Well, uh, moving right along before it takes roots, uh, Chunky Pie wrote in about RSI. And uh, he had a few hot tips. He's in his 40s. Uh, he's been using keyboards uh, since uh, high school. And, of course, every job he's ever had, keyboards. He's now learning to become a developer, keyboards. And his big lesson, he says, is the ergonomics really matter. And the sooner you start taking the ergonomics seriously, the better off you likely will be. Uh, as he puts it, keyboards aren't going to go away anytime soon, so it's best to adapt your workspace now to optimize. We got a few notes on the RSI subject, so thank you, everybody. I appreciate your thoughts there because I agree with the sentiment. Like, take advantage, get yourself a, a, a good working setup today, and uh, it's sort of like an investment in your tools, which is your body parts. We also got some feedback from Adam. He says, hey, guys, love the show. For RSI issues, well, it's taken me a few years, but I think I found the perfect solution, at least in my case. My desk chair is actually a Staples gaming chair, which has the armrest sitting at the same height as my desk. For keyboards, I need a split ortholinear keyboard that lets you split or rebound. I have two mice. I switch between them, a Logitech MX Master as my main, and then I have an Anchor Ergonomic vertical mouse. Using this combination has cured 95% of my RSI. And actually, I'll jump in there, Adam. I also do this at home. For some reason, I don't do it much at work, but at home, I have I switch between two different mice. I have the MX Vertical, and I have a trackpad. I think the trackpad's probably harder on my hands overall. The Verticals are really cool mice, if you've never seen those. They look weird, but they really work because you change how you move the mouse. Um, instead of a side-to-side wrist action, it's a side-to-side arm action. And it's much easier on the old wrist. And then there was a topic, Mike, that I talked about just this this is what I effing love about this show. You and I will just randomly toss something out there, you know, just as an aside. And then the audience takes and runs with it. Because we've got some boosts about this, too. And Adam wrote in on email. He says, on the topic of uniforms. I can't believe this, but we had multiple people write in about uniforms. <laughs> 
I touched on something. I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. Uh, Adam says, my daily work uniform is a black T-shirt, black cargo shorts, black socks, and dark blue shoes. I work construction, so all black hides the copious amounts of sweating that I do. As my regular clothes, it's mostly just jeans and khakis and a white or black T-shirt. I do have a few novelty shirts, like he has his old Last Tux T-shirt. But he kind of has like, I don't know if I'd call that a uniform. He kind of has like a set of a small range of clothing. That is almost too complicated for me. I want just like the same thing all the time almost. But we'll see. We'll come back to that later. And then Adam had he had three points. This is his third point, his last point. And this one he's taken us to task on. On a side note, why is everyone raving about the launch keyboard? I know it's made by System76, but I've seen that build quality and that layout before. Also, the firmware isn't as open source as everyone claims. It's based off of QMK. That is open source. Also, I'm not sure if you all mentioned it, but I don't think they're going to be able to support wireless anytime soon because of QMK. And I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, but I have been in the mechanical keyboard world for several years. And the launch isn't anything new. But keep up the great work. So I thought this is an interesting little uh, snapshot here because uh, Adam mentions the build quality before, but I don't think he's ever owned a launch and I'm, I'm holding a launch right now in my hands. And so I don't know how he can comment on the build quality, which is excellent. But you know, there's an interesting thing here. It's like, I went and did a little digging around on the open source stuff. It looks like projects that integrate with the launch like the keyboard configurator, that's GPL. The Fwepti stuff is all GPL. The layout, the design, the CAD drawings, that's all GPL. I don't know if everything in the firmware is GPL. I don't really know like if it's further than any other keyboard vendor or most keyboard vendors take it. Is that good enough? Is that where that line is? And then the other thing is, is like if somebody else has made a keyboard like this, does it really matter if System76 is introducing it to a new market? you know, a market that maybe hasn't bought that stuff before, but trust the build of System76, so they're willing to spend that money on a keyboard when maybe they weren't before, because that's me. It was just about the time the launch came around where, you guys know on the history of the show, I was starting to just consider mechanical keyboards for my RSI, and they happened to just nail the timing with the launch. But I was never in that market really before, and it kind of opened my eyes to that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, you know, long-time listeners know that there used to be a brand of mechanical keyboard that I religiously used. Well, they sense, I don't know if they got a PE buyout or what happened, but their quality has just gone way down in recent years. And they focused on kind of more whiz-bangy features. I don't know, more competition's good, right? I think I'm using the launch. Uh, I'm still testing out the launch small one, the light, uh, with the pink switches. I think it's pretty good. I prefer the bigger one because I like the USB hub. One fair point in, in his email, though, it, yeah, right, it, wireless would be better, but then you, you lose the USB hub. But for the light, definitely wireless, because there is no hub. Still, I kind of like the idea of there's lots of different configurations, lots of different keyboards made by lots of different vendors, and you just got to find the right one for you. It's like building your lightsaber. Yeah, and, you know, there's lots of different hands, and different hands fit better with different lightsabers. Right. Not every batlet is for you. You have to find the right one. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I've had to get an ear sewed back on. Let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Not my ear. Not my ear, of like, course. And, and, <laughs> and everybody's different. You know, we're all, we all have different uh, appearances, heights, weights. For instance, take a look at Takuvma and Kalish. How much more different could you get? Yeah, I agree with you there. So speaking of keeping things similar, perhaps even uniform, Deckbot wrote in about the uniform lifestyle. He says, you were discussing the uniform lifestyle. Where I come from, like my work, there's no such requirement, but I do occasionally travel for customers, so I'm allotted five free t-shirts a year. The choice is between salesy, a white or blue, button-down shirts with tastefully embroidered logos on the breast, or just black polos featuring the embroidered logo. Naturally, I chose the black polos since the customer portion of the floor is typically a dirty industrial environment where everything is coated in metal dust, especially the Linux welders I'm working with. Right on, Deckbot. Tell me more about that. After a decade of free polos, my wardrobe evolved into a collage of corporate black polos with generations of marketing and obsoleted logos and slogans that generally pair well with jeans. That hits, right? That hits. A decade of free polos, my wardrobe has evolved into a collage of corporate black polos with generations of marketing and obsoleted logos. That hits. <laughs> that hits. Okay. He says, in the morning, my choice has devolved into what is clean? And how old is the logo? That also hits. 
He says, I, I tend to hang the clean laundry in the back of the closet and just pull shirts from the front so all shirts are cycled evenly. I try to do something similar. He says, I hear JB has a bunch of shirt merch on some websites. Five to ten shirts should set you up for daily wear, leaving you nerd shirts for special occasions. Save from daily wear, tear, and abuse. Thanks for all the shows. Jackpot. This is something a couple people touched on is maybe I should buy my own swag. I do actually have pretty much all my clothes on my own swag, but they're all old swag. I feel like I need to do a whole new refurb and then just buy a bunch of them. But uh, we'll see. I appreciate the thoughts on uniforms. We'll leave it there until we get to the boost for now. But please do keep it coming. Although I haven't talked to you about it. I don't know if it's possible. At some point in the next two weeks, it'd be really great if we record a double. You don't have to, but it'd just make travel time a little easier that first week. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So I'm thinking we need the audience to send in as many boosts and contact forms as possible to help fill our bags. So that way we have plenty to go through. So that way we, uh, you know, we don't miss a beat on the pre-records. And then our last email today comes in from Daniel. And uh, he wants to talk about remote work. And I've been, I've been kind of thinning these out, not really including most of these. But he touched on one thing in here that, that put it over the line. So I wanted to conclude it in the show. He writes, I've been listening for a good five years at this point, And I really love the show. I wanted to comment on the remote debate. I will concede that the tooling is good enough to get the job done effectively. That even includes pair programming. Nevertheless, losing the social side of things is a deterrent to the work culture. If you like to play pickleball after work, for example, I might be a little nicer about the fact that you're failing to execute and putting me behind on something. But if you're just a name on a screen, well, you're getting blamed in the nicest way I can think to do so. Chris, you've called this out before. When we see each other as humans, we work better. And it's very hard to see each other as humans if all we do is talk to each other during a stand-up, even if you have a stand-up meeting. Some of us actually like people. Daniel has touched on something that I want to, I want to phrase a little bit differently than throw it at you. I have, I have experienced this with myself. When I have met someone in person and I conceptualize them as a three-dimensional human being that has an entire life and problems, and I, and I actually see it, and I learn a little bit about them. Maybe I spend some time with them. I am more generous in a text-only conversation. I am more generous about things slipping. I am more understanding about their situation versus before then. Even though if you would have asked me before I had met them, I would have told you I was doing those things because I honestly thought I was. But I was doing to the best of my ability for the character that I conceptualized in my mind that I'm interacting with in a low bandwidth means. But when I met them in person and that exchange became high bandwidth and I learned things about them, perhaps they didn't even want to volunteer, but it's just observational. I built out a, a more complete model of that person in my mind. And that model seems to afford me more empathy for them now. And I think that makes a big difference in the workplace. And the only way you can have it is if people spend not just like a day together, but maybe some significant amount of time together. And I think that makes for a well-oiled team. And, I, and again, I see it here with the JB team. When we get together for stuff, for events, the team really gels. People, you know, because the, 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 their friendships really kind of reignite. Like, it really kind of gets people fired up for a while. And it's, it's just there's no way of replicating it online hard as we might try. And that has made them more productive. And it's true for all businesses I've ever been involved in. And it's just inescapable. Yeah, I mean, we're never going to be able to 100% replicate the experience. You know, I just keep falling back to it kind of doesn't really matter because the ship has already sailed. In our industry, remote work is a, is a, is a fait accompli for the most part. I mean, even Apple's struggling to drag people back to the office, right? It's kind of like a natural disaster happened. And now we have to deal with this and we're going to have to learn a new way. That's literally what happened. Exactly. I, you might be right. You might be right. I think you're right. Depending on what you think of certain lab. Hey, oh, <laughs> let me get the bacon. Let me get the bacon. <laughs> no, I follow what you're saying. Actually, it's sort of it's like, yes, all those things are true. And still, we are going to have to figure out a way to do this. Um, insert standard metaverse plug here, I suppose. Well, let's do it on, you know what? Let's just do it on small scales as we can individually. Let's take it upon ourselves. Individual responsibility, blah, 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 blah. That's the worst. I know, right? In other words, 
Come hang out with us on the West Coast. We're going to be in Southern Oregon. We'll be in Northern California. We're doing JPL and we're doing a meetup near JPL. So even if you didn't get your name picked, you can still come hang out with us on the 30th. And we'll also do another meetup in Oregon in the Northern Oregon area on October 7th. All of this is at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And we also have our West Coast crew where we're chatting about details, answering individual questions, bit.ly slash West Coast crew. We'll have new swag on board, brand new swag. We'll be doing some geocaches as we go out. And, um, of course, I'll be doing some shows on the road. In fact, uh, starting to freak out a little bit about that. So, you know, send us in your feedback. Coder.show slash contact or send us in a boost. Newpodcastapps.com. More appreciated than ever when I'm out there burning gas on the road. Linode.com slash coder. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's just a great way to support the show while you're checking something really awesome out. I love Linode. And what does love got to do with it? I mean, you might just think it's an old-fashioned notion. But I'll tell you, love is performance. Love is knowing you're supported. Love is knowing that there are 11 data centers around the world dutifully serving your data up to your customers, your clients, your friends, and your family, or yourself. Linode's been building servers designed to run Linux in the cloud the fastest, most reliable, and most economical way possible for nearly 19 years. That's why I say, go try it for yourself. That $100 will really let you actually try it at linode.com slash coder. I like to mention the stuff that appeals to me, and like one of the very first things that always comes to mind is the performance that really does stand out. But, you know, we're almost three years into this, and it has been perfect, really. I mean, I do not regret a single moment of hosting. I feel even more fired up and passionate about that choice as time has gone on. And as a business owner, but even just as a, you know an enthusiast, when you make that choice, when you make a technical foundational choice, and it continues to pay off, it continues to, sh- to give dividends, it continues to be a good choice, that feels really good. It's like, I made the right choice there. That has been great. That is something I ha- That is not a problem I have had to deal with. And they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers out there that just want to lock you into their duopoly platforms with their esoteric language for the crazy things they call the different services that they've ripped off from the free software community. Like, that's how they make their money. And then they haven't even architected their businesses in a way where they can provide the support that you need, especially when it's something that's mission critical. And Linode's done all of that. And I think it all starts in the DNA. Linode started because they were passionate about the technology. They saw where this virtualization tech, this user mode Linux stuff that was coming, they saw where that could go. And now, 19 years later, I think they have the best set of options in the business as they've whittled away and built something incredible. So go try it out, support the show, maybe learn something and get $100 for 60 days on a new account. Linode.com slash coder. So the show has been on the air for a really long time, really, really long time. We don't even have the entire back archive on the new website yet because we just launched the new website last week, but we are adding it and it goes back basically 10 years. I don't even know how that's possible. We've exceeded the run of Linux Action Show by some some bit. Um, we are uh, on a roundhouse kick to 500 episodes. And since we're sitting here on a Labor Day recording the pod, we thought, why don't we look back at this last decade on how tooling has changed? Processes, workflow, remote work, platforms. Let's just look back in time. And uh, I'm curious if you have any uh, places you want to start. On you know things that feel like major shifts for you, uh, maybe specifically around tooling and things like that. Yeah, so I think a lot has changed since we started the show in terms of day to day work. Right, I seem to remember talking a lot about you know manual testing and QA departments, and uh, yeah, oh, let's pour one out for them while we're pouring one out for Sun. Yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. Uh, automated testing, right? What. I guess you would call TDD was much more of a debate than it is now, if it is at all. In particular, the whole DevOps idea basically didn't exist 12 years ago. And I was a little I was a little hostile towards it, too. You were hostile. You know, I'm a little hostile. I'm going to pat us on the back. We did call Docker before it was called Docker when they were. Little, yeah. Yeah. Dot Cloud. Was that their name at the time? Yeah, we had the CTO on. Yep. 
I, I remember very distinctly feeling like uh, the blurring of developer and sysadmin was a very bad practice. And I still kind of feel that way. <laughs> you had some fifis. You had some strong fifis, yes. I did. I did. Now, to be fair, the tooling has improved tremendously. And things like Ansible have come along and Git. And that stuff has really, really made quite a big improvement. Um, and now... Now I'm the guy that's like deploying changes by updating things on GitHub and then, you know, letting just things happen in the background and rebuild things for me. It's it's a very strange sensation. It's it's a strange energy, that's for sure. But it's the de facto standard now. In fact, you know, I talked about this TMB. We moved back to GitHub uh, for the most part because it's just got too hard to fight the tide with, with a small team. It's just easier to set up the either direct GitHub integration uh, you know, with something like Do Apps or Heroku, which Heroku is going through some changes. It's we should talk about. We need to have a heart to heart with Heroku. They, there's some some stuffs going on <laughs> over there. I'm not quite sure I understand it, other than then they killed their free tier and raised all their prices. Oh yeah, yeah, which seems adorable. But yeah, don't even get me started on GitHub Actions. Right, you got a problem, they've got an action. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I could see a lot of our publishing pipeline based around GitHub Actions. Why not? It's it's pretty powerful. The way we've been able to use Actions, the way it just works with Hugo, it is it is so sm it is so smooth for the deployment of the new site, and it makes it possible for way more people to participate in the process. And in the old sysadmin days, I would have had to have managed it all with user accounts and groups and SSH keys and <laughs> FTP access. It truly was a worse way of doing things. And now people can publish things to the website based on like their GitHub level of permissions. And that makes participating in a community project way more doable. It also adds a layer of, this is kind of a double-edged sword, but standardization, right? And abstraction. Like you really, you know, you don't necessarily, not everyone in the, in the process even knows what's going on. They're not our hosting sponsor right now, but I just, can I just call out uh, Dio's app platform which is effectively those sons of bitches it's effectively just docker containers yeah and yeah. all they've done is basically saved you the hassle of having to know how to like register on docker hub and like or even run your own little docker hub and do all of this yourself set up you know nginx or whatever you're using you just point it to a github repo give it a little yaml file and bam it pulls it out umbral is a project for self-hosting it's very much the same thing same idea yeah you just get a dashboard you click the thing like from an app store, which, you know, just an open source. And it just does all the Docker stuff, all of the routing stuff in the background for you. Oh, well, they all have that. I know Linode has, like, they have a whole list. If you want to just like pull up, I want GitLab. I want Rails. I want chicken, please. Meow Mix? Did I just go to Meow Mix? You know what you and I watched is a, is a very compressed version of what's happened to the car industry. You and I came in just as they were starting to seal up the engines. And we watched them go from like open engines that anybody could work on and build to fully sealed up engines, but now way more available to, and there's way more people that can like deploy this stuff now. And we've, that's what we've witnessed in a really compressed timeline in the run of the show. To, to the point where orchestrating your containers has become a thing, right? There's like a million consultants who want to go around. They used to sell you agile training. Now they want to sell you Kubernetes training. Yes. Oh my gosh. And that's, you know, I that's kind of, I don't have it on the list, but another big thing. What the hell happened to the middle managers? Like, I haven't dealt with a PM who was a pure PM in probably like four years. You know, I think they're out there. I just think it's probably uh, large organizations. But otherwise, it's it's always double duty now. It's always somebody else doing double duty. It's It seems like, yeah, there's definitely like a PM person, but they're always like also the DBA or they're like, you know, the guy who runs all the Git stuff or he, the one wizard of Kubernetes who, who orchestrates all their containers, right? Or, the, or your manager's also playing the role as PM, which is like kind of just doing double duty. But, you know, I, I'm not necessarily against it because a lot of the PM hasn't been the best thing to come along. And it's uh, sometimes it's added a, you know, it's it, it it adds stakeholder creep having a PM. No, I think we should do a jaunty chick on their grave. <laughs> I think it's good. I'm saying this is a feature. I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna disagree on this. Oh, okay. no. I mean, I think if you know, I, like the lead, if you have a DBA, the DBA is a good PM. The lead developer is probably a great PM. Like, what is a PM? He organizes your Kanban board, and 
that's another one. Just the <laughs> Agile has eaten the damn world. There's no argument anymore. You're doing Agile. And I, I know our friend Adam's going to get mad at me, but even like event modeling, very Agile-esque, very influenced by Agile, right? It's all Agile. There's no one outside of maybe the DoD, even then, doing Waterfall. It's over. And that's a big change if you go back. That was a huge that was a huge discussion for years. This huge huge discussion for years. You know, I didn't even realize it would happen, but looking back, there's a there's like the master switch and and into the plex, there's a couple of books that are really good at showing how tech is kind of following the trends of the radio industry and the car industry and all these previous industries that have come along, even cable television. And one trend that happens in there is these kind of philosophies, economics even, right? You've had Austrian economics and Keynesian economics, right? But over time, it just seems that a predominant philosophy does take over. And you just don't even, when, when it reaches that kind of mass threshold, you don't even realize it's happening because it's just normal now. It's just the way everybody, and maybe we don't even call it that anymore, right? It's just the way things are. It's just the way you do things now. You know, I didn't even realize I was doing Agile until I had, we had to do the notes for the show today. And I was like, well, let's see. I have a Kanban board. I have weekly deliveries. I deploy to production at least twice a month. Uh, the only thing I don't do is stand-ups because, I mean, although we kind of do, we have a daily check-in. But we don't do like, like there was some stupid ceremony in Agile, right? Like, the, you know, the Agile consultants were basically, I think, flim flim men, right? Well, that's always the stuff that turned me off. As soon as you get to the ceremony stuff, I start getting turned off. I remember one, one place I was a contractor at, they had like this little ball. It was like one of, the, one of those Apple promo balls. It was like kindergarten. You couldn't talk unless you had the ball. And you had to toss the ball, like playing catch for, you know, 30 year olds. I hate that stuff so much. And I I know it's about team building and it even sometimes works on me when I'm forced to participate, which I hate even more, but I still hate it. I never want to do it. It feels like a huge waste of my time. I'm a professional. I'm always going to be as professional and, and polite as I can. And it will build a team bond based on the good work and the wins. That's how you build a team bond is wins. Well, and there's always the one dude who just can't catch in somebody's coffee lands in a MacBook. We're going to say that's what happened. We're going to say yeah, that. We're yeah. going to use that excuse. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Very good. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, just kind of while we're touching on all of this is what we have landed on, and I think it's for the better, is a lot of my processes now are just self-documenting, where in the past, all the documentation required me to generate it. Like, when I push to production, there's a commit log there where I leave a note, right? When I configure something in like Nix, there's a configuration comment that I leave behind. Or like when we deploy something for the web server in Ansible, that's self-documenting. Ansible is self-documenting now. And that is a game changer for me because I sometimes do documentation and I do it really good. And then I, and then I like burn out for a year and then I don't do it for like a year. So it's a lot of this stuff, a lot of these processes, not all of them, but a lot of these processes now you know, the kids these days, uh, they're self-documenting. And I think that's a net positive. Yeah, I would just like to add to that list the uh, Fast API, the thing Alice has written on. It's uh, got beautiful self-documentation. And I know the .NET folks have something similar. Uh, shout out to Wes again for turning me on to Fast API a couple of years ago. Super helpful. You want to talk a little remote? I mean, that's the elephant in here. I feel like... Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we talk about remote all, all the time. I would actually like to twist this into an actual doing development remotely. Not like, is it good for management? Are people lonely? You know, whatever. Are they wearing pants? I kind of, so, you know, I've been doing the code pilot experiment. And it is comically bad when it's bad. But I realized, and it's, again, this kind of came to me last night when I, when I first pitched you on this idea for the show. The problem is it's too ambitious, it shouldn't be trying to write your application good for you. It should just be a linter on steroids. Sure. So let's take the Python case, or let's, you know, I think a more common case. Let's take the, the TypeScript case. You have TSLint, which is a very good TypeScript linter. CodePilot should augment that and say, TSLint says you violated this rule. I looked on the public GitHub repos. This is how people are doing something that looks similar, because it can already do that, right? Tell you code that looks similar to yours have gotten around this, would you like to accept my solution to satisfying the linter rules? 
Oh, that's so actually helpful. That would actually be helpful. And and I could see a world where you GitHub, they do all kinds of crap. Why not do this? Have different accepted linter style guides and say, you know, all right, the mad botter is adopting, you know, for Ruby, which it's a little looser than Python, right? All these things, with the exception of all methods must have parentheses, right? None of this, you know, my method space parameter stuff, which is true, which is our style guide. And GitHub Copilot, you just need to know that. And anybody who's logged into our GitHub on VS Code or whatever, you flag that as an error. Oh, man. See, and that's when you have to work with other vendors or you have to, the customer looks at your code. You just look so much more professional when you have one style. Uh, additionally, we're kind of just accepting linters as a fait accompli here. Linters were kind of a new, like not new, new, but they have come a huge way in terms of what they can check for. And way, and way more common. Way more common. I mean, if you if you use JetBrains at all, they're built in. VS Code is always trying to tell you that you suck. So, You know what I really like about your idea, your tweak to Copilot here, is it's also verifiable if it's doing a good job or not. Because you're saying, okay... Here's my here's my standard I want to be you know I want you to compare me to and that is did it meet the standard or not and is copilot recommending based on the standard or not that's really easy to determine success where right now it's so ambiguous so nebulous right and it, and of course you could do that with most of these linters anyway right they all have configs and and you know things like rubucop is the one I use for ruby and yeah I can tell it listen I I hate I forgot the thing I hate there's a Oh, I think it's too strict on the line length thing because I like to write Objective-C style method names that are like, Chris gets up, puts on his robe, and ties the sash, and make a cup of coffee. That should actually be two methods. Oh, this this must be a good day if I'm tying the sash. <laughs> or a really bad day, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Why can't GitHub Copilot, and I think it can, right? I think this is just a choice they have to make. Be like, all right, I'm the Copilot for your organization. Don't worry about any config files in your individual repos. I'm just enforcing this globally. It knows what language you're writing. It knows what framework you're using. It knows if you're sleeping. It knows if you're awake. Yeah. I'd like that in our show docs just for markdown. You know, beep, 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 tidy that up for us. Huh. Clippy at the next level. That would be really great. How did we get to there? I love that. But I think that's, oh, because you're talking about remote tooling. Remote tooling, yep. That's a great example of tooling that could actually help people that are developing remotely on their own that don't have somebody they can tap the shoulder on. That's a great, that's a great example. I could see it getting there. That doesn't seem impossible. It, it actually seems easier than what, they're, what they seem to be trying to do, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> the linters already exist. They're all open source. You could just, and they imp, they usually output to like standard out because you can run them on the command line. So I'm pretty sure you could just intercept those messages. Like, ah, the TS lint actually has like really good documentation on the error codes. So they could have a simple dictionary of the error codes. Look it up and look for code that looks similar. It's all stuff they already do, except for the tying into the linter part. My benchmark for remote tooling and if the tooling is comprehensive and, and complete, is is it exactly the same tooling commands and infrastructure when I'm like in Juneau, Alaska, and if I'm in the office at a desk? Are we using the mm -hmm. same tools? Mm -hmm. Are we, you know, exact same processes? Then I think, yeah, at a tooling standpoint, everything's even. And it's pretty easy to get there today. You just have to pick the right stuff. So yeah, getting, and you know, in a lot of ways, when you're talking about it from the developer's perspective, Remote work might be the best thing to have happened to them in the last decade, right? It's so great from a focus standpoint. My home setup is almost, maybe except with the exception of once, has always been so much superior to my work setup. Because I always, you know, I'm tinkering. I got my right, I got my chair, I got my desk, I got my screens the way I like them. I got the machine that's a ridiculous overbuilt performance hound. At least I, I used to back in my day. But you know what I mean? Like, you can really build it your way. You can play your music. You can have your environment, your food. You know, you don't have to worry about interruptions. You know, and that's why some people, they combine working from home with working late, too, because then no one's awake, no one's messaging you, and the two together really let you get in flow. And that's what it's all about. Y'all have seen my three, four a.m. Twitter postings when I start my day to do coding before my wonderful Pokemon-obsessed son wakes up. <laughs> oh, West yeah. has a good add-on for the uh, linters. I, I can't believe I forgot that. Language servers, you can have hardcore 
uh, IDE level debugging in the command line, independently running. Mm. Hello, Wes. Welcome to the uh, Coder Radio Matrix chat room. Welcome to the Matrix. The show has a dedicated chat room on Matrix. We'll have, uh, well, you can just go to coder.show slash Matrix and you can join it uh, while we're live or when we're not. Either way, we, we the chat is always going for the show. We got a dedicated spot. I, I see somebody added an item to our little bullet point list here. Well, two items, really. I think it's, I could have added a third now that I think about it, too. Don't you find it fascinating that over the last decade, unquestionably, Linux and Apple, both in their own ways, have just exponentially grown, but not at the cost of Microsoft? Right? Didn't we, early on when this show started, I think we looked at the market as a zero-sum game, mostly. In reality, there was just plenty of money for all of them to soak up, apparently. And so Apple has become an absolute behemoth. They were barely in the enterprise when we started the show. Barely in the enterprise when we started the show. And now they're a massive player. Tons of MacBooks in, in the workplace. It's very common for developers to have MacBooks now. Super common. Linux. There's Linux in the workplace, Linux on the server, Linux vendors, more developers choosing Linux. That's been an exponential growth. Linux and half the in your house, right? It's- and Microsoft didn't have to go broke for any of it to happen. In fact, Microsoft is more integral to, to developers outside the Microsoft ecosystem than they ever have. I was saying, Microsoft is weirdly on that Linux bad wagon, right? You know, we talk about Azure. They have a whole Linux IoT platform, too. Yeah. Yeah. And they're continuing to update it. Yeah. They sell lots of Linux over there. Yeah. They've got two distros they're making now. Their CBL Mariner distro, they just recently updated it to make it possible to run on a wider range of hardware. They're kind of like beginning to build it to run on stuff that's not just Microsoft purpose hardware or virtual machines which maybe i don't know how far they go with that but i find that to be fascinating it's there's so much going on in that is it's so rich now and you really had to find your niche i think for most for most people that are at least trying to ride these these trends people that have you know just kind of picked their thing and they've been doing it for a decade and still working for them god bless but people that are trying to ride these trends like you've really had to kind of niche down and you've had to go through that you know you've kind of had to niche down and you had to find a niche that was complementary to your skill sets and the team you could build. And, you know, when we started, you weren't talking about the snake a lot or hosting on Linux. You know, you were really focused more on the consumer side and maybe gener- and, and building tools for developers, perhaps individual developers. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely gone through a religious conversion of I'm a little more extreme than you. I, I think all these front end services are going to not services front end like uh, maybe rephrase that. It's all going to be the web. In some form or another. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. This might be I've been corrupted by just writing lots and lots of business software for the last couple of years. But no one wants to pay for, you know, what I used to call double native. And it's probably not worth it for most business cases. Honestly, the thing holding the web back is is Apple. Apple's just outright refusal to make mobile Safari good. I mean. Yep. But. Ironically, some of the most complicated web apps in existence are shipping as iOS apps in the App Store. I just shipped one for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's it is happening. So like because of that, those pieces are that groundwork, that skill set, all of that is getting laid even though it might be shipping as an iOS quote unquote native app. The tooling all of that, uh, I think you're right and here's what I think too. I think historically things revert to the mean, you know, like the web is the mean. The web is the standard general platform. That's why the web's running on Linux servers, because that's another general standard tech platform. And inevitably, inevitably, you just you just give up, you concede, and you just use the general tech platform. It's just the way it goes. Even if you package that up as an app, it's still going to be using web technologies on the back end. And you, and you look at some of the biggest freaking iOS apps out there, some of the top apps on the iOS app store, they can reconfigure parts of that UI on the back end like nobody's business because it's all web rendered. We, we talked about uh, Ionic's new offering for that last week. The same exact idea. You can reconfigure and even call capacitor plugins as long as the plugins are already in your bundle, right, without updating the actual app. You know, there is, a, there is kind of a little bit of disappointment here, though. I would have bet a few years ago that WebAssembly would be a much bigger part of our day-to-day lives. Yeah. And yeah, that yep. just didn't happen. Again, and I think because of Apple. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> if it doesn't work on iOS, 
Well, damn. It's kind of yeah. why start the project? It's kind of a non-starter. It's kind of a non- especially in the states. I know some of our our European audience who we tenderly love is another way to put that. I I believe I believe yesterday or that must have been Friday. I saw a headline that iOS user market share has actually just surpassed Android. Did you see that? Is that possible? I just I believe find I saw that, that incredibly hard to believe. in this in this in the U.S. Maybe maybe yeah. I'll double check it. But my point my point is is. If you had an existing platform, an existing application, and you know iOS came along and it didn't support iOS, that didn't wreck your world. But today, in 2022, a project is a non-starter if it's not going to support iOS. Yeah, Android. Let's just say people, a lot of devs don't do a whole lot of testing on Android Chrome because it's basically Chrome, right? Um, just we're on iOS. Have you seen the leaks that came out this morning? Definitely, definitely, definitely not from Apple PR. Shutting down expectations for the iPhone announcement tomorrow. You called this. I think you might be right. Now, ironically, elephant in the room again. Several several of them. Get them out of here. Several elephants. This is coming out on the day of the Apple event. Yeah, so tomorrow, it's Monday now for us. So today for you, I guess. Yeah, and so maybe we'll be wrong. But you're right. The leaks seem to suggest smaller notch is the big new feature. <laughs> smaller notch, maybe a slightly better camera. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah. if you're like me and dropped your iPhone and you don't want to pay the uh, repair, you might get one anyway. Although I'm running a 12. So for me, there probably is more change, right, in terms of processor and all that. But Yeah. Oh, actually, it might be worth an upgrade for you. Yeah. So it, it's who who could have leaked something like that? Who could the source for who that could story have known? be? Hmm. My, that Mark Gurman sure seems to have the right phone number. Sure does. Whoever that source is. Sure, and it sure seems to never get caught by Apple somehow. Sure is strange. It's weird. It's weird. Real-time follow-up. Apple's iPhone overtakes Android with more than half of the U.S. market share. I believe that. There are now more iPhones in the U.S. Well, and if you've ever like sat in a pub, you'll know that Samsung is betting all in on folding phones, which... Oh my God! They're like fourteen hundred dollars too. They're really expensive. Yeah, that seems ridiculous. I don't. I don't yeah, know. and the thing is, the headline isn't Apple's iPhone thirteen overtakes Android. It's all iPhones, and Apple loves selling old iPhones. So, and what is know. that? The iPhone R or whatever, the real cheap one. I got one for for my grandma. Still a solid phone. It, it, she loves it. It comes in cute colors. I mean, why not? Yeah, it's a good size. It's got decent battery life. You know, it's a decent. It's a decent deal. She's happy. Got her that in a in a past gen iPad mini. She loves it. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. And of course you support the show. If here's what's up. This is just a little bit of uh talk between you and me. I don't want don't share this with anybody else, but I just want to have a private moment with you. If you do nothing else today but install Tailscale, you can call today. Because that that's gonna set you up forever like tomorrow's work is a little bit easier i love tail scale it's so quick to get going to so like after like two minutes you're done for the day <laughs> you know because i'm giving you permission to take the rest of the day off when you go to tailscale.com slash coder you're going to set up a zero config mesh vpn in just a couple of minutes that manages firewall rules takes care of that dreaded carrier double net situation some of us find ourselves in and it connects all your devices directly to each other using wire guards, noise protocol, the good stuff. This is the stuff that we hoped we'd see hit the market once WireGuard became a thing, when it was a twinkle in our eyes. You can quickly and easily create a secure network between your servers, your computers, your virtual machines, your cloud instances. I even have it as an add-on to Home Assistant. It's just so wonderful. And then additionally, you can share with people. You can set up ACLs. It supports DNS if you want to put a DNS server in there. For me, the real fundamental shift in my game was when I realized all these various devices, like at the studio, at home, my kids' computers, my VM machines I'm working on for projects, my VPSs, they all now have a static IP on this mesh network. So then I started realizing, well, I'll just connect to that IP all the time. And it has changed the way I do networking. No more inbound firewall rules. Gone. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. Now my bookmarks for like the web apps and services that I use that I run on diff different servers and stuff, they're all using the Tailscale IP. So it's the same bookmark, it's the same IP when I'm at home, when I'm at the studio, when I'm over at the kids' house, it is the same everywhere. You guys, 
when we got to that point and then I started doing sharing with different members of the JB team and we really just, we have built our own little private internet <laughs> and it's been so easy with Tailscale. And now Tailscale has Tailscale SSH, which just makes managing your SSH connections even easier. Keep connected with Tailscale. It'll change your game. It's on the level of like file sync and the types of technologies, you know, collaborative editing, chat, like it's just a fundamental tool now a fundamental tool and it couldn't be built better it's a great app a great team and you can try it for free for up to 20 devices and support the show when you go to tailscale.com slash coder it just doesn't get any better than that i'm thrilled to tell you about tailscale go try it out tailscale.com slash coder well, speaking of Apple, you ready to get yourself an Xcode cloud subscription? They're now generally available for developers after launching in beta in June. I am not, no. But, Mike, this is a whole category of people that have to have access to Apple's platform that they could monetize. No. <laughs> uh, here's a little bit of the details. It's, it's, like, it's like 15 bucks a month for the base plan. Uh, subscriptions can, uh, be like more expensive if you want to add more compute hours. So 15 bucks a month gets you 25 compute hours, uh, which is, you know, you know what that means. It, however long you use some of the back end, you can get a hundred compute hours for 50 bucks, 250 compute hours for a hundred bucks a month and a thousand compute hours for 400 a month. Um, you can configure XFlow to upload and build in the cloud and Apple is going to offer 25 compute hours per month at no cost until the end of 2023. So you can try it out and get real hooked. You know, so you can now, you can build on your MacBook Air and upload it to Apple. This has really got to be about getting things ready for Xcode on iOS. Nah, I don't think so. No? Don't you think in order to have a really complete iPad development experience where you can build applications for Apple's various platforms, you're not going to want to build all that on an iPad. I mean, you could, but wouldn't you just, you know, you do everything on the iPad and you upload it to Xcode Cloud and let it build and deploy to the App Store. I think to make the development experience on iPad good, this is not like the most pressing issue. For instance, you'd have to fix multi-pad tasking on iPad, which I don't know how they would do. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're right. So, you know, I actually think this is for the enterprise because, you know, code signing is a pain in the butt and I can imagine lots of organizations that like hire a contractor, contractor gets in a dispute, quits, gets fired, whatever, and oh, he had all the private keys for all of our iOS stuff and our push notifications and whatever. We need to now regenerate everything and revoke all the keys. It's a huge hassle, huge pain in the butt. I've had people ask me to do it for them many times when they've either had a nasty breakup with a vendor or whatever. In a lot of ways, this is almost like a Jenkins for our Xcode. Wouldn't it in theory allow an enterprise to deploy cheaper Macs as well with lower end hardware? You know, just something enough to run Xcode. And yeah, but the MacBook Airs are damn powerful now, and they're not that expensive. Today. The, right. Well, the the 20% Tim Cook markup could happen, I guess. No, I just, you know, you take this thing out a few years. I could see it. I think where this would really take take things to the next level is if it let you develop on other platforms other than Mac OS. They will you never do that. No. Never. No, you know. never. That, I would pay for it if they did that. But Yeah, yeah right? I mean, the, the truth is, if you're a medium-sized business enterprise, it's just better to buy a Mac Mini, put it in a closet somewhere, and centralize all your code signing that way. And you spend, what, if you really want to go balls to the walls, you spend, what, 2100 2200 once, take the write-off, right, and then you throw it in the closet. I have a very sad Mac Mini for that reason. Although my goddamn MacBook Air is faster than it, which now is a MacBook Pro 16-inch. But <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess they're not getting a subscription out of you. No, you know, I mean, there are things they could add to it, right? Like, there used to be, I forgot the name of the service, but where they would actually test it on different devices and form factors and send you back the screenshots of an automated, like, Selenium script running and touching different touch points. That would be of value. Um, but again, and this is kind of a product of their own success, Xcode doesn't suck as much as it used to. And you could basically do this locally with, well, Selenium. Which, But to be clear, the thing I just described does not appear to be a service they're offering. right? This really does look like running your Xcode tests, making a build, handling distribution in, uh, in the Xcode cloud. Boostergram. 
All right, well, let's round out the show with a few boosts. We got 2,000 sats from Nev, who boosted into the show a reliable booster. He says, uh, Chris, I've been living the uh, Ubiform lifestyle, the uniform lifestyle, for 10 years now. It's just a plain white T-shirt and jeans. My biggest recommendation is that you have a few optional uh, clothes, like uh, maybe a basic pair of khakis, maybe a few polo shirts, because every now and then you'll want to switch it up. But honestly, it's been fine. It's one less decision I have to make in the morning other than is it a pants or is it a pajamas day? Okay, I'm kind of really liking this idea, and I'm not sure if I can tackle it right now because you would not believe the chore list I have to get ready for the it's one of these things where the getting ready for the road trip, three or four things go on the chore list every day and maybe one thing comes off. So it's pretty stressful at the moment. Um, So I don't think I want to take on like redoing my whole uh, wardrobe. But I am really liking this uniform idea. So I'm going to I'm going to touch on this. If I come up with something that's like with JB branded, I I may I may just make it available for those of you who want to try it, too. I'm sure it'll get a total of four sales, but. I might try it because, you know, I like I mean, I was thinking about like uh, I don't like wearing other people's logos. Like I'm going to go to the meetup. I should be wearing JB swag, but I don't know. I don't all my. All my swag either doesn't fit or it's too small, you know, because I've gotten fat or it's faded. The stuff that does fit's faded, too. You know, it's all old. Yeah, you should totally wear JB stuff to the shows. Ah, this is one more thing to add to my list. He's making a list. <laughs> all right. Uh, next boost came in from WM, 2,222 sats, a row of ducks. He says, thanks for your thoughts. Uh, he boosted in last week, mentioned that he was on the spectrum and having some challenges with his workers and kind of feeling left out. He says, I think I needed to hear what you guys said, especially the part about it just being work. I don't have to be friends with any of my coworkers. I guess I just had a lot of unrealistic expectations going in. I would add that my last message didn't really paint a clear picture. There was somewhat some hostile things I had to deal with. But I think I'm just going to avoid putting too much into this semi-public form. He says, you don't have to read this on air. I just wanted to thank you all. But I wanted to read it on air because I think it was an interesting reflection that you made, WM. And I would say, don't write them off either. You know, you have friends and you have acquaintances and both are valuable. And a a work acquaintance is a lot like a friend. But sometimes when you stop working there, that relationship kind of fades away. But while you're there, it's a good, healthy social dynamic that's productive. So, you know, build acquaintances is what I would say. And then if they turn into friendships, that just happens organically. But if they don't, totes fine. You know, you just get your work done. Everybody's there to get paid. So we had somebody boost in from Castomatic with no name, but I wanted to read this boost on the air. They sent in 5,000 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. They said, they call these things wardrobe capsules. It's a stupid name, but I've been living the hashtag uniform lifestyle for a few years. It's heckin' great. F the haters. Lean into it. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm feeling good about that. I'm going to do it, dude. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going uniform style. If you if you want to join me, you're welcome. But I'm going. I, I recommend a nice pair of black, incredibly tight slacks and a gold long sleeve shirt. Uh, you got to have a couple pips on the one chest, right? Maybe some sort of triangle logo. All right. And just walk around in that every day. You know, I hear those fabrics are designed for comfort, so that should be great. Well, you got to have your iPhone out and pretend like you're scanning everything, that you're, you know, maybe have the AR mode on. I do have a, I have this app called Science Scanner or Sci Scanner, which is just a, it's a knockoff tricorder, but they can't call it a tricorder because they get sued. They get sued and they can't use the tricorder sounds, unfortunately, uh, but it still looks like a tricorder. I hate to admit that I have gone to a Ren fair and done the Star Trek Lost thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's terrible. John A. is our big booster this week with 10,000 sats. After listening to last week's episode or whichever it was when we talked about Google reporting that dad for taking pictures of his son for telemedicine, he says, goodbye, Google. And I got to tell you, Mike, I'm still thinking about that story every day. You're haunted. Last night, Wes and I were like, you know, we were talking about, eh, is it time for me to get a new Android device and kind of get an updated experience with Android because it's been since the Pixel 3 and maybe I'm getting a little out of date. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. And I start looking at it. You know, the price seems kind of fair. And then I think, no, you know what? I'm not going to get any more ties to this company. Like that line's been crossed. I'm done. 
and uh, I'm going to take my photos off of Google. I, I have not been using Google Maps for a while. That also, I sort of crossed that line uh, last summer. And um, I, I think that story was it. It's not like it's, I'm not freaking out. But I, in my mind, Google is now kind of like a hostile territory. Like they're not actively hostile, but it's like I've walked into a bad neighborhood and I need to be really careful. And I probably need to just maybe move my assets out of that neighborhood. And it's really stuck with me. It's not, it has not faded since we've talked about that story. I'm, I'm really disturbed by what Google did. So there's that, I guess. Sometimes maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that was the, uh, that was the story I needed to hear to kind of make it stick. Perhaps we'll see. It's so damn hard. Like Google search. I don't know if I can stop using that. I don't find any other stuff is good. And Gmail find that to be the best Google apps for business. Also good, although I don't really care so much about that. It's more about my personal stuff. DPG comes in with our last boost of the week that's going on air, but thank you everyone who boosted. They all get read. Sometimes I'll read extra ones that don't make it into the show. I'll read them in the live stream. So your support is appreciated. And DPG comes in with 8,085 sats. B-O-O-S-T. He says, in honor of the new Ryzen processors, I thought this amount was appropriate. Love the show. The new Ryzen's look so great yeah yeah i hope i hope to have more on that in the future i'm i'm feeling like it is time for a new machine i wanted to get a new desktop before the pandemic and then the supply chain went crazy and i thought i can wait and now i'm really itching i've like built i have built up momentum uh also just a shout out to golden dragon he said hey guys just 19 shows until episode 500 keep up the great work we got 1701 sats an enterprise boost from user 791 he just wanted to boost some joy in. He says, please keep the broadcast coming. And we got 222 sats from OA Guy one who said, you know what? Keep the advertising pitches in from time to time. I didn't grab any this week, but every now and then, uh, sparingly, I'll throw a advertising pitch email in that we get. We have had weeks where we have got more of those pitches than we have actually gotten email from the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, it's usually, isn't it like the end of the quarter we usually get hammered? Yeah, that's got to be it. Is they got to figure maybe you're getting ready for the next quarter um, and you're going to take anything. You know, you'll just, and that does happen. You know, that is the thing is there's, and uh, I was just listening to Stratechery. I don't know if you follow Ben Thompson still, but uh, he interviewed the former CEO of Anchor, the podcasting platform that Spotify bought, and it will send chills down your spine. They have figured out that their path to making a lot of money is to monetize the hell out of little podcasts you know, podcasts with a few hundred downloads, a few thousand downloads, and just ram them up with dynamic ads and stuff. So what, like aggregate? Aggregate. So they'll go to one, they'll out, they'll, they'll sell like 10,000 downloads, but they'll do it by running it across, you know, a thousand shows. That's super sneaky. And and the only way they can do it is by, you have to be on their platform. They have to be able to dynamically re-encode your file. They have to be able, you have to do it in their player so they can track everything that the player is doing. And the thing is, is they're coming to podcasters who are struggling and they're just saying, here's a check. Come on our platform. Well, you can work with one of our consultants to migrate over to our platform. Would you like to schedule a call? And uh, they're going to basically YouTube up. Spotify is going to YouTube up podcasting. That's why we do the boost, right? So anyways, go get a new podcast app. Let's let's keep this thing decentralized. Newpodcastapps.com. Let's not let let's not let's not watch that go this direction. My God, let's not watch another thing go this direction, please. Um, also, big thank you to our members who make that possible. You guys are playing a huge role in letting us be picky, choosing the sponsors we work with. I genuinely love working with Linode and Tailscale. Use the hell out of them every single day, right? That doesn't just accidentally happen. It's because we had the runway, the opportunity to work with those folks. So thank you, everybody over there. CoderQA.co. Go listen to the Coderly. And our Matrix room, everybody hanging out in our new Matrix chat. Thank you very much. If you want to join that, coder.show slash Matrix, going all the time. And that might be good on the road trip. You know, you never know. There might be updates in there. And of course, you can watch the show on Mondays, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at jblive.tv or jupiter.tube. Mr. Dominic, where should we send folks? Give them some wisdom, some resources. Well, sure. So wisdom. Uh Never tap out before your attack stuff. Always play stuff in your second main phase. There's your wisdom. And follow me on Twitter at Dumanuko. You'll get coding, magic, and uh, my Oktoberfest sell at Bratz. So you, I knew you saw yes. the Bratz. I, 
I knew it. <laughs> I did. This is my favorite time of year for cooking with beer. So, oh, they look so good. Wes and I were actually working on some studio stuff, and uh, if we hadn't just eaten some tri-tip, I think we would have had to cook up some brats. We love the beer, beer-soaked brats. It's mm. came out good, yeah. Yeah, I bet. All right. Well, links to what we talked about today, coder.show slash 482. And don't forget, we want your feedback, so boost it in or go to the contact page over there. You can also find our RSS feed on the website, and then you can watch the video archives of these live shows and catch future live shows at jupiter.tube. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week.